Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. We are come to you this morning to talk about cooperatives and the benefits of co-ops. Uh, you know, we're celebrating this year, 100 years that NCBA, National Cooperative Business Association, has been in business. They started in March of 1916. So we are celebrating their 100th year throughout this year. And today we have Mr. Dennis Bowling on, who just was inducted to the Cooperative Hall of Fame. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. How are you this day? Well, I'm wonderful. How about yourself? Great, 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 great. You know, it was great watching you and listening to your story, and I would like to tell the people here, as, as I talk to you about your wonderful history and why you were inducted to the Hall of Fame. But how did you get introduced to the cooperatives? Well, like many people uh, in the, the ag sector, I grew up on a small farm in Kentucky. I actually uh, was a biology and chemistry major, as I mentioned, and planned to teach high school biology. Uh, somewhere along the way, I uh, went to work for Austin Torino, and then I uh, went to work for the uh, Louisville Bank for Cooperatives, part of the farm credit system. So I, uh, I kind of came into the co-op movement in a very practical uh, business perspective, uh, on our farm growing up, we did some business uh, with a co-op, Southern States, uh, out of Richmond, Virginia, but we really weren't in proximity uh, to a co-op outlet. What? So I came in came in from a very practical business perspective. So as a, as a kid, you did you work with what co-op in? Uh, Southern States, the uh, large uh, feed farm supply uh, energy co-op headquartered there in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, so that's a producer co-op then, right? You buy your products yes. from it. <clears throat> right. And we bought primarily feed for our livestock. You know, I uh, envy you guys that learned about co-ops at a very early age. I didn't learn about it until maybe 20 years ago when I started managing housing co-ops. Oh, uh-huh. uh, So it's it's. I would have loved to have learned about it much, much, much earlier. But then you, you wanted to, you majored in biology and chemistry. And I majored in ke- math and chemistry. And was going to major in biology as I was struggling, so we have something similar, science. <laughs> and I went to Kentucky State for one semester. So I was oh. in your state for a little bit in 1965. Um, and your last name is Bowling, and you went to school in Bowling Green. <laughs> okay. I did, okay. at Western Kentucky, yes. So how was the experience like at the bank? Well, I uh, uh, had, again, started out from a very practical standpoint, I I worked uh, before I went into service with uh, a Ralston Purina feed dealer. Uh, we were in a small town in Kentucky where my wife was teaching home economics. And uh, so I began working in agribusiness. When I was then to the point where I joined the bank, we were providing normal uh, lines of credit, uh, long-term loans to cooperative organizations. So it was a very easy transition to be on the banker's side 
what I brought to the table in those days was some experience. At Purina, I was involved in several aspects, but most predominantly uh, dealer financial services. So I was involved in uh, local businesses and getting them financing and providing, again, uh, sources of credit to buy our product. And the bank for co-ops in those days, uh, it continues under CoBank uh, as the primary commercial lender for cooperative organizations. So uh, it very much had the same uh, feel of any co-op where you're you're uh, engaged uh, to support the members. You're very engaged from a, from a relations standpoint, but you're also uh, very engaged in a uh, business perspective to help the cost make sure they've got adequate financing in place. It's structured effectively and efficiently. And so it was a, again, it was a very business oriented relationship, but very much of a, of a co-op foundation. So you got into it at the dealer level and then working with the dealers in their financial structuring, then you had experience so that the bank needed that experience, so they hired you to come in and work with the dealers. <laughs> exactly. We, uh, you know, we had many uh, uh, cooperatives throughout the Midwest that were also you know, selling feed, uh, just like any other commercial operation. And I joined the bank uh, in the early 80s at a time when the uh, ag economy was under a lot of stress. And, uh, and certainly, you know, one of the uh, well-known uh, attributes of the farm credit system is they step up and, you know, help farmers and their co-ops uh, in times of need. And so in the Louisville region, uh, which covered Indiana and Illinois, Ohio, that part of the Midwest, including Kentucky and Tennessee, we had a lot of grain operations under a lot of stress. And so the bank reached out uh, very prudently and fortunately for me uh, and hired some people with some experience. Uh, to work with grain elevators during that time. All right, so you moved from the bank. Where did you go next? Well, uh, while I was at the bank, I supervised a team of loan officers, and then I also uh, handled some uh, co-op accounts myself as their primary uh, lender. And one of them was uh, the parent company of United Producers, and it was called Producers Livestock Association. So as their account officer, I worked with the management team and the board for roughly seven or eight years. During that time, I did a lot of uh, board training with my accounts as well as others. So when my predecessor looked to retire, uh, that particular company, Producers Livestock, approached me about uh, applying for the CEO job. And so uh, that happened in, uh, excuse me, 1989, and uh, was fortunate enough then to uh, go to work for what was one of my accounts at the bank. So it's very interesting. You were working with was at Houston Perina, working with the dealers. The bank sees you, and they say, hey, come over here and help us. And then some of your accounts, you're working with them, and you're training them and showing them how to work. And when their CEO retires, they say, look, won't you come over here and take this job? Well, that's kind of how it rolls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, that's uh, interesting enough. And, and I uh, am doing some guest lecturing at Ohio State. I get asked that question, like, well, that's kind of a circuitous uh, career path. And I said, well, it's really uh, an example of how co-ops work together. You know, there, there's a very openness about uh, sharing and willingness to help. And as opportunities come up, we, we tend to look for, you know, folks that have a similar viewpoint and attitude about cooperatives. And uh, in my case, I was very fortunate that it worked out, uh, you know, from a career and a job standpoint. 
Well, you, you say we're very open. Uh, the fifth principle of co-ops is education, training, and information, which you know about and I talk a lot about on this program because that's the first reason that I liked co-ops was its training part. I taught 12 years of my career, and uh, I did not want to be a teacher. You wanted to be one. My mother was a teacher, <laughs> and I knew how hard she worked and how little she got paid and how little respected she was in the community. It used to be teachers uh, were very well respected, even if they weren't paid much, but that wasn't the case in the 60s and 70s. So I didn't want to teach, but I ended up teaching to keep from going to Vietnam, and uh, I liked it. So I did that for 12 years. I really like when people learn. I like seeing people that like get turned on when folks learn something. And so with that fifth principle in the co-op piece, and as I've gone to co-op meetings, I've experienced exactly what you just said, is that people just share information. They don't hold on to it like you're a competitor, and therefore I'm not going to give you my secret. Oh, exactly. Well, I mean, I think think co-op businesses are very sophisticated, prudent business people. Co-opted businesses have trade secrets just like any corporation, uh, any business, uh, any organization. But they're very, uh, again, firmly committed to helping each other. And so to the extent that they can uh, share information, share expertise uh, without breaching confidences and and protected information, uh, they're certainly very open and willing to do that. Uh, I've certainly experienced that through my career. I've had many of my counterparts uh, in management, you know, share information, share their expertise, share some ideas. And they do it out of a genuine respect for the cooperative structure. Well, that also gets to the sixth principle, which is cooperation among cooperatives. So that's one of part of sharing that information is to help each other. You know, you talked about this United Producers, Inc. And when I was at the dinner where you got inducted, I was just amazed at what all that organization does. But I was also amazed that there was some problems early on in your career there. Can you explain the, I think it was the cattle fraud? Exactly. Uh, well, we had, uh, like many co-ops back in the uh, the 80s uh, into the 90s, we're dealing with economy of scale issues. And so uh, we merged with uh, some other companies and we acquired uh, a couple of uh, other livestock cooperatives. And one of the entities that we merged with had a, a limited liability company operation, and the principal in that uh, perpetrated a Ponzi scheme whereby he would take money from uh, investors, invest them in cattle, cattle feeding operations, and then he, uh, he would take money from somebody else, pay a nominal return to the investor to kind of keep them happy. And, uh, and a classic definition of a Ponzi scheme, that pyramid is, and, uh, you know, if the music stops or the markets collapse, there's not enough money to pay back the investors. Uh, and this individual did that, uh, falsified records, uh, uh, ended up spending 10 years in jail. The FBI fully investigated, and you know, we learned more about uh, being a victim of a crime mm-hmm. uh, than we ever thought we would. But essentially, this individual uh, uh, siphoned off money, falsified records, falsified the audit, such that we became embroiled in uh, litigation and those types of challenges simply because we were the, you know, ultimately the parent co-op, large company in Ohio, so people were looking for somebody to get money out of. Yeah, pay them back. Uh, We were not, you know, obligated on any of their debts. We were arm's length. 
So what we were faced with was being embroiled in this massive litigation. And uh, as we all know these days, uh, you can be sued over virtually anything at the drop of a hat. And uh, so as that escalated, uh, you know, we were faced with the, uh, the harsh reality of the cost of litigation and the company collapsing. We, we, we simply were, you know, spending millions of dollars uh, on the cost of litigation. And we, uh, we did a lot of soul searching and tried to resolve uh, all the claims. Uh, none of the claims were, you know, against us. We were, I guess, somewhat victimized, uh, as the U.S. Attorney General characterized it. So we, uh, uh, we made the decision that we would uh, take the company through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy to, uh, you know, handle uh, those things. It lasted only about six months. We were sanitized through that. And there were some unique things that happened from a co-op perspective. You know, I've said Dennis, in many speeches, I don't recommend it. <laughs> Dennis, let me, let's stop right here a minute and come back and talk about this bankruptcy and how you all worked out of it and what came at the end of it. We have to take our first break right now to get the news, the weather, and traffic, and we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. 1450 WOL. Information is power. That's why WOL is a great, great partner to have this program because the National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program to give you the information that you might need to find a co-op. Uh, first, get the benefits of the co-op, and then you could go find one to either shop or join a grocery co-op. Or you could get a housing co-op. There's all kinds of ways. Or you could go start your own, a worker co-op. If four or five people come together, you perhaps can start your own co-op to solve whatever community problem you may have, including uh, work, getting work. And right now we have Dennis Bowling on the phone with us. Uh, we were talking about United Producers, Inc. They had a issue where they were sued. And, Dennis, i got to tell you, I understand that. I've been in business now for 24 years. I didn't get sued for the first 18. And then it seemed like everybody would sue me <laughs> for anything and any reason. If exactly. you look at some yeah. of these suits, you would think that I was the worst guy in the world because they <laughs> would claim anything. One guy said that he had a uh, uh, breathing problem and said there was mold in there and I had caused it and I didn't fix it. And he, he was suing me for $600,000. And I was really concerned that this man's health was at issue and, you know, the way he sounded like he might die from this mold. It turned out after getting all kinds of experts and a whole lot of legal money like you're talking about, it turned out that they had spilt water in his unit and his unit was filthy and that's what caused the mold. Okay, what? nothing I did. But it took a long time and a lot of, of my time and money to get this resolved. So, yeah, I got it. I understand. I know for – now, if you're not in the business, you may not understand this. But can you keep telling us what was going on? You got this massive litigation, thousands of dollars, or was it millions – and now you you took a Chapter 11. Now, which one is the Chapter 11 versus the Chapter 7? Well, Chapter 11 is the opportunity for a business to basically uh, restructure based on any number of factors. Our case was, uh, you know, according to the legal experts, was, was pretty benign. It was a single issue. They didn't impanel a trustee. It was pretty much a, a mechanism uh, to deal with the litigation. So we were fortunate in that regard. Even though it was millions of dollars, it was controllable in the sense that it was kind of a singular focus. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right in your, your comments. Uh, it becomes such a distraction. It, uh, it takes away from the business and taking care of the members. But during that process, you know, you're continuing to operate. So you're, you're certainly are doing business like normal.
process which which you'll succeed, but you do have this, uh, you know, we described it as, uh, unfortunately, a cancer we had to contain. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we did that, and uh, uh, and we're able to get all that behind us in, uh, you know, just a, a relatively short period of time by, by legal standards. The legal system, you know, is it, tough because you, you, you have those situations where you have, in theory, a jury of your peers, but in our particular case, unless you happen to be a pretty astute business person dealing with these corporate structures, agricultural kind of issues, uh, folks just don't have a, a basis to understand some of them. So it's easy to say, well, gee, let's find somebody with deep pockets and they should pay for everybody else's problems. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, it's money-driven. Uh, in this case, people lost money, so they're trying to recoup. In some cases, people are just trying to get money out of you. And exactly. the, the legal system, as I have learned, uh, it is very difficult to wade through that stuff. And what looks like it should be common sense, the law doesn't necessarily <laughs> it's not common. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily well, we, were, we were fortunate that we had a, an outstanding law firm, uh, very much understood cooperative issues, uh, very uh, you know uh, top drawer as far as their legal expertise. So uh, again, uh, they they have a practice that deals with organizations like ours that uh, really enhanced uh, you know helping us get through that. Well, it says if it doesn't kill you. Um You'd be stronger. Did you find that to be the case? Well, we did. And, you know, I, I'll really admit going through it, there were a lot of days that I uh, kind of didn't believe that. <laughs> but um, the thing that I, I think I made, made this comment at the uh, Hall of Fame event, um, the, the members stuck with us. But we also uh, had a pretty strong commitment as a management team and board that we were going to focus on surviving in order to take care of our farmers. And, and that kind of a, you know, a commitment uh, and affirmation that that's what we were about really gave us a lot of confidence. Now we had you know lots of setbacks along the way, but uh, we were we were singularly committed to uh, surviving to to ensure our members a future uh, for their marketing. So with that kind of confidence and again the team that we had legally, uh, we were able to navigate it. Uh, Farmers stuck with us. Farmers did business with us all through the uh, the legal crisis. You know, many times when a company is dealing with that, uh, you know, people uh, leave. leave. Yeah, yeah. They, it's the proverbial rats leaving the ship. Uh, we actually had an increase in numbers. And so and you, numbers, and you, I remember you closed your doors for a week. You shut down. We did. We did. We, uh, we said, look, in order for us to affect this process, we, we need to uh, – uh, essentially push the pause button. We need to get all of our financing in place. We need to, you know, make sure checks are cleared, those types of things, so that when we push the the button to begin the legal process, the real question, would the members show back up? And they did. So, uh, and I think that really goes to your earlier comment about how critical uh, communication, education, those types of things are in a member co-op. We, uh, we told the members everything as we went along. There were many times they were getting, you know, lots of mail from us, lots of email, but they were fully informed. And I think because of that, they were able to make a good business judgment, understood that this was something that we were victimized by, and 
you know, it's in our mutual interest to see that UPI survive. You know, um, the values of co-ops are based on the values of self-help, self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, solidarity. And it sounds like you all had solidarity. In the tradition of the founders of cooperative, cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. And that's what you're saying you did. You cared for each other, you were open, you were honest, and you were responsible to the members. Well, I mean, we didn't stand up and, you know, uh, say this is the badge and this is what we're doing. But that is, in fact, the innate value system of a co-op. And, uh, you know, we didn't have it on placards. You know, we said this is who we are. This is what we're dealing with. It's your co-op. Here's what we plan to do. Here's our game plan. If you believe in that, stick with us. And, uh, you know, again, I think uh, I, I believe in just good, decent people. They they hear a reasonable argument and, you know, it makes sense. And they, you know, they can make good, informed decisions. And, and did. You know, we didn't have a, you know, a disproportionate amount of Monday morning quarterback second-guessing what we should have done, this sort of thing. Uh, you know, farmers uh, farmers deal with risk every day, mm-hmm. and, and they have to manage that risk. They have to make informed decisions, uh, make judgment calls. And so when the co-op uh, is facing something, they, they can understand the process. Uh, you know, we, we are just an extension of their farm. Uh, in many cases, and so, you know, you're talking to your family. It's uh, it's an easy conversation to have. You know, um, I was thinking this morning we've had like 18 days of rain in the last 21 days, or and we're going to have some this weekend. And I was wondering how that's affecting the farmers. You know, you can get too much rain or not enough rain. We talk about managing risk, things that are not in your control that can affect your crop or your your livestock. Um, and the consumer goes to the store and still wants the product there. <laughs> at a reasonable price. Outside, <laughs> we can't get the crops in. So in, in co-ops, the principles are volunteer and open membership. And the one I wanted to get to was democratic member control. So in that democratic member control is normally one member, one vote. But they have to make informed decisions, and that's why getting all this information, training, education is so important. And the third one is member economic participation put some money in to join, and if there's a profit, then often there's money that could be given back, but they decide. And the fourth one is autonomy and independence. So I say to people, you have to co-op the, the members own and control the business. A lot of education, and we talked about cooperation among cooperatives. That's the sixth one, and the seventh one is concern for the overall community, and that community could be the farm in Ohio, or it could be the Midwest community, or the U.S. community, or the world community. But no, very absolutely. much concerned for community, which is another reason I love co-ops. As you went through this, you said you increased membership as you're going through this, all of this negative stuff. It must have been a lot of negative publicity, too. Well, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, there wasn't a lot of negative publicity. It was not. Oh, good. And um, <laughs> we, we had geared up to, you know, with the PR firm to deal with that. That was going to be uh, my question to you. Okay. Well, we, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, the the local uh, paper there in Columbus, the Columbus Dispatch, did a brief article. But I think, you know, folks, you know, kind of heard the story and said, well, okay, this is a process. They're working through it. And so there just wasn't a lot of uh, uh, sound bites that could come from it. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, we tried to answer questions before they were asked. 
now our competitors fanned the flames that, you know, we're going under and Dennis Bowling's going to chase. Okay. Well, okay. That, that is <laughs> yeah. negative press. Okay. But uh, <laughs> as you well know, in business, you got to be pretty thick skinned. And so, you know, the old saying goes, if I had a dollar for every one of those, <laughs> you're a wealthy man. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're we're going to cut. We have to take our second break. But a PR firm for everybody out there is a public relations firm. Then their whole role is to help create the image that you might want. Uh, but we have our second break that's coming up. And, Dennis, this is fascinating. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about this, but get into how stronger you got going through this, all of this negative work. But we'll take a second break, and we'll be right back. 1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Uh, program is Everything Co-op, we're talking about cooperative business model, the benefits of a cooperative, how people can come together to start a co-op. There are different organizations out there that can help. The Cooperative Development Foundation, CDF, if you go to cdf.coop, cdf.coop, and they have different grants and monies available to help you get started in co-ops. There's a lot of different ways of, of getting started and People have information to help you to get started in a co-op if you want to start a co-op. U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops is one of those organizations that can help you if you want to start any kind of business you can think of. Uh, Dennis Bowling is our guest today. He was inducted to the Hall of Fame. He's a, a 2016 inductee to the Cooperative Hall of Fame, which is the highest honor that one can get. It's called the Heroes of this Cooperative Business Model. His whole life he's been in it. He started out wanting to be a biology teacher, went to Ralston Perina and worked there for a while. And then they, the Louisville Bank of Louisville Cooperative Bank. Uh, Louisville Bank for Co-ops, yes. Louisville Bank for Cooperatives saw his skill sets and they offered him a job to come in and work with the dealers. Uh, and then he was working with different people and the people at United Producers, Inc. Uh, saw his skill set. When their CEO re- retired, they reached out and grabbed him, brought him over. And he found himself in this big legal mess, uh, which he had to work out of. And can you tell me how many co-ops, farmers, are members of United Producers? Uh, United Producers has about uh, 40,000 members. And our structure is just as you described. It's an open membership. It's one member, one vote. And so any uh, livestock farmer uh, throughout the 10 or so states that the company is primarily involved in uh, becomes a member. So uh, that's a, obviously a uh, economic and logistics challenge when you look at that many members, but it's a pretty strong base across the Midwest. It's uh, typical uh, large operations. It's small family farms. It's uh, beef producers, pork producers, uh, lamb producers. So a typical array of uh, Midwestern uh, livestock farms. Beef, lamb, pork, uh, livestock. 40,000 members, 40,000 members. Okay, that's, uh, a, that's large. Plus or minus, sure. <laughs> okay. okay. So why would they join United Producers, Inc.? What, what's the benefits of joining and coming together? Well, one of the primary benefits is a, a cooperative like ours uh, gives a farmer access to the marketplace. You know, a farmer who may produce, uh, let's say, a 1,000 head of beef cattle seems like a lot of cattle, but when you've got to uh, ship those cattle, get them to a processing plant, 
the processing plants or large uh, mega food companies like a Tyson's, uh, uh, large companies like that, a co-op like ours becomes the uh, intermediary. We bargain, negotiate the price or the contracts uh, for those farmers to those processors. So the advantage is the uh, it's just the economy of scale. We're negotiating for a thousand of those farmers uh, versus one farmer trying to negotiate on their own behalf. So it is a principle of marketing uh, where you're just combining your numbers and leveraging those numbers. So that's the real uh, economic benefit to the farmer uh, is to be able to you know, get the negotiating, the bargaining power of their numbers being marketed with other farmers. Now, that's in addition to other services that co-ops offer. UPI, for example, has a loan subsidiary that finances farmers. Uh, we do a lot of commodity brokerage risk management business. So there are other services, but primarily uh, it is the, the bargaining and the marketing of their uh, of their product. So is this called a marketing co-op? Uh, yes. All right. So for everybody out there, I, I'll go over this every now and then. There's um, Co-ops can be any business that you can think of. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. If it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products and services, it's called a consumer co-op. And credit unions and housing co-ops are examples of that, consumer co-ops. Now, you have the other two major ones. They have a lot of different forms of co-ops, but it's if people come together to buy the uh, materials that they need in their work, it's called a purchasing co-op. Uh, farmers could come together if they're uh, growing things and buy seed and fertilizers together, get a more volume, you get a lower price and get a better product, and you have somebody in the middle to do that. Uh, and then you have the marketing co-op, which is on the other end of it. Farmers, artists, and the group of people come together, and they say, okay, if we have somebody working that know that have the skill set to work with the Tysons or these people that are going to buy this product, then they can negotiate and get a better product. And we also have access to more markets than this one farmer with a thousand. He can't get to all of the different markets. He may not even know how he may not be able to get to oh, to California or New York. Um, but by going through United Producers, then it gives them more markets and therefore a better price. And it also reduces risk because farmers in the olden days before co-ops, I don't know how what that is, they had to go out and buy their seed and their fertilizer and whatever, make sure they had water and whatever to produce these things or cattle or whatever they had to get. Then they had to do the work to produce, and then they had to sell it. So they had to do all of this, and it made them at risk for everything. Did I sum it up pretty good? Well, no, absolutely. Uh, that's spot on, and I think that really points to the self-help provision that, you know, it allows you to uh, get some, some help on risk, access to certain, you know, inputs, and I think access to the markets. You're exactly right that, you know, a farmer in southern Indiana may not justify owning trucks or, you know, having those more corporate kind of relationships, but they want access to the competitiveness of the markets. And so that is, in fact, exactly what a co-op does. It opens those doors for its members, whether it's a, an artist co-op or, like you say, any type of co-op in any sector, any business, uh, the principles are the same. The other thing I like about co-op is one member, one vote. You just said you could have very large farmer member. So you have a, a large farm that has, what, 
10,000 or 100,000 head of cattle. I don't know what a large <laughs> farm is, what's the magnitude of it. And then you have a small farm with 100 head of cattle. And one member, one vote says that they both have the same amount of vote when it comes as opposed to in, in our capitalistic world, the ones that have the largest, the most money, can buy the most shares of stock in a company, then they get more vote, they get more power. And that's why too often, and it's happening in our political world right now, too often the people with the money are the ones that have the power and the say of what laws are going to happen or what policy are going to be in place. And so, again, why I like co-ops is that everyday people, lower, uh, middle class and lower, can have the same say so as upper class or the one percenters, if you will, if they all in a co-op. Well, that's uh, that's precisely true in, in United Producers. Uh, you know, the business structure is complicated. The governance is complicated. Uh, we're dealing in a, in a corporate uh, world. We're competing with non-co-ops. So there's lots and lots of... Uh, uh, nuances of those systems, but the bedrock principle, it's owned by the members and it's one member, one vote. Now, you may have to deliver the business very complicated, mm-hmm. uh, but the the bedrock principles uh, is really the tie that binds, uh, binds co-ops together. I know you're retired now. I don't know what that means for you, but uh, I got a sense that doesn't mean you're sitting at home all day long. But <laughs> <laughs> did you... Is there anything about your career you would do different? Did you like what you've done? Oh, absolutely. I uh, I found out uh, very early on that uh, being in business satisfied my desire to teach. Mm. You, know, you very quickly realize that in, in management, you're carrying out the functions of teaching by convincing people to go along with a, an idea you have or, or even dealing with adversity. So the 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 principles of teaching are applied every day in management because it is a people business. You, you can have all of the technology, all of the robotics, uh, but you still have people in the decision process. So uh, from that standpoint, I, I viewed every board meeting, every staff meeting, uh, almost every interaction as a teachable moment. Uh, okay. And so that was very fortunate for me. The one thing I would like to do, would have liked to have done different is, uh, you know, the economics uh, are challenging such that, you know, I, I wish we would have had more money to do more philanthropic things. I would like to have been able to be more engaged uh, uh, overtly with young farmers. But you kind of have to pick your priorities. Uh, and so, you know, if I had those do-overs, I would, would hope to have tried to pursue those things a little more aggressively. But part of the management, uh, you've got to realize that you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And so do do the best what you have and while you're here, uh, but you certainly can't do it all. I just want more money for philanthropic things and work with young farmers. And both of those, you're just sort of helping more people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I'm doing a couple of things in retirement. Uh, one is involved with training and development, uh, kind of helping shepherd that uh, within UPI. I'm working with the Farm Credit Council on some uh, board of director training, which I've done extensively for a number of years. I'm volunteering uh, pretty extensively right now with a major co-op project at Ohio State. So, uh, you know, and all those things are opportunities for me to learn, but they do keep you engaged in, uh, you know, working with other people. So tell me about and tell the audience about your director training certification program. What was that about? 
Well, it, it came about really uh, under the wisdom uh, that the management team at the Louisville Bank for Properties had. Uh, in the early 80s, as I mentioned, there was a lot of economic stress, and so uh, individuals uh, found themselves elected to boards, co-ops, and unfortunately didn't have any really extensive training for that role. It's different than running your own farm business. So uh, uh, we began uh, developing a program uh, out of the Louisville Bank, which others have picked up, you know, in many, many uh, facets, to train boards of directors on good governance and other aspects of being a director. And that's true in a, in a co-op as well as a publicly traded company. Sarbanes-Oxley comes along, and those things become more mandated in publicly traded companies. But it really became a uh, an opportunity to recognize that very successful boards of directors are made up of farmers who are very successful in their own right in running their farm business and those that have got uh, some enhanced skills in the role of a director. And so uh, uh, we saw that very early on as a need and uh, pursued it from that perspective because the board of directors are ultimately people in the co-op that are accountable back to the members. And if the better trained and equipped they are to carry out that job on behalf of the members, uh, then it becomes a win-win. In my property management business, I found that co-ops are successful if they have good governance first and good management second. Because the governance, that board of directors, they're the ones that either are responsible for hiring and or firing or setting policies that the management has to has to um, deliver on. And the good of that Dennis, the good part of it is they have to have knowledge and integrity. And I find that integrity is more important than a knowledge because I've got a 16-unit uh, senior co-op that they don't, there's not a lot of formal education, but they, have, they, they, they stick to their bylaws and their house rules, and they, they make sure they hold each other responsible, and it's run extremely well. My only problem with them is getting them to raise because it's a senior and they have fixed income, raising their carrying charge as their expenses go up. It's been my only, <laughs> my only battle. But just uh, last night before last, they raised 8%. This is only third increase in 15 years and they're falling behind in their savings, but have these open conversations. And I get everyday people that can make these tough decisions, even like an 8.4% increase there. They are, increasing their own carrying charge, and they can see why. We go over it, and they do the budgets and all of that. So I like this good governance, and I really want to come back. We've got to take our last break. The hour goes by real quick when we're having fun, and I'm learning. But I want to come back and talk about what's in this certification program. This is for my knowledge, and I also want the other people here. Here's the kind of training that goes on that you have to know in order to be on the board. And I have found out that adults really get the training. They get the numbers. They may not have known that they could do the math, but they really get it when they have to apply it. So we'll be right back, and we'll talk more about this training. 1450 WOL. The National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. My name is Vernon Oaks. This is Everything Cooperative, and we have Mr. Dennis Bowling on the line with us. Dennis, it sounds like, you know, you have worked in business, capital business, and then you worked for a bank, and then you came back into business, a co-op business, and then you have retired from the co-op business to do what you really want to do, and that is education. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <Which is startling. laughs> okay. So I, I would really like to get into the weeds a little bit about this certification program. I'd like to know, what do you find that 
in order to be a good, to have good governance, what knowledge does the directors have to have? Well, I think they, uh, as you alluded to it, I, I think people have to kind of have a value system that's compatible with co-op principles. They, they have to believe in the value of those kinds of things, you know, as a person. From there, I think directors need to have a good understanding of their role as a board member versus that of management. They've hired the management to run the, the enterprise, and so they have a very different fiduciary policy kind of role. I think they have to have a uh, keen understanding that they're accountable to the members, how they balance communication and confidentiality and, and those things. And then I think they have to have some financial acumen. Uh, they don't have to have formal education around finance. But the co-op is a business in the sense that it's providing economic benefit to the member. And I think collectively, uh, directors that have some uh, some training, those skills, some self-development is kind of a an expectation. All of that kind of forms the leadership necessary for good governance. What do you mean by a fiduciary role? Well, you know, as, as you as you mentioned, they they're going to hire the management. They're going to approve the budget. Depending on the type of co-op, they may be approving major capital expenditures. The example you gave of the housing group, they're voting to increase their own cost. And so it would be very easy to look at that as a selfish impact and say, well, gee, I don't want my expenses to go up 8%. But they have to understand that this is part of a bigger business formula, uh, why it's justified, why it's needed. And so that takes some fiduciary responsibility that they they can look beyond their own checkbook and see, you know, for the greater good of the co-op, the co-op members, that community, we have to be good students or stewards, rather, of their money. You know, when I first heard fiduciary responsibility, I thought that was the financial responsibility that they had, that they had to make sure that everything was right. But I've, I've since found out that it is the board is responsible for everything. They're ultimately well, responsible for everything. Every aspect of the business, the board is responsible. And then they hire management, in this case, for a property management. They hire a third-party management company. And and it says in our contract, we are supposed to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H, of seven, eight, nine, ten things we're supposed to do. And then they are still responsible to make sure we do what they have hired us to do. And the same thing when they hire you to be the CEO, there are certain things they want you to do, and they have to make sure you're doing what they want you to do. So they're ultimately responsible, and I've tried to get that across to board members when they say the problem here is, you know, we don't have enough money coming in or we don't have enough <laughs> savings. It's management's fault. I'm going, wait a minute now. You, you've got something wrong here. It's ultimately well, your that, responsibility. Uh, hmm? Yeah, I think that uh, I think fiduciary, uh, in my mind, is a little broader than just financial. Right. But boards have to think long term. You know, management can come and go. They have to think about the long-term existence of the co-op, the success of the co-op, including the financial health of the co-op. So they've got to be very much engaged in strategic planning and, and long-term budgeting. So uh, it, it is a pretty important responsibility. And, and, again, I think understanding, as you said, they can't just advocate that to management. They are ultimately accountable to the members. Well, when you talk about the long term, this long term, and I've heard on this program, and we've been on now for two and a half years, but stewardship is a word that comes up a lot. And I only heard that in church before. 
right. Okay. We have to be good stewards of what God gives us. And so now I'm, I'm getting that a co-op member, the board member, have to be good stewards. They have to be looking long-term. They have to do strategic planning uh, to find and make decisions that are best for the group. And that's another reason I like It's not the 16 seniors, and there were 10 of them at the meeting. So they're making decisions of what's be- good for the group, even though it may not be best for them individually. Any one of them. And that's, that's hard for a, a board member. It's just human nature to think about your own situation. But you have been elected to care for the assets that are owned by somebody else, some other group. And so stewardship, you know, whether it has a religious connotation or not, is a very good way to characterize that responsibility. Uh, now, I think that as a value uh, resonates well in farm country and with most people. And so it's a pretty easy segue to that kind of a concept you know the first time just thinking jim jones was was on the program and he was with nasco the north american student cooperative and he was saying that a lot of the students come in at best will be there for four maybe five years sometimes it's one or two and they make decisions to save for future generations of students so because they're not even there for the long term it's their long term is four or five years but they're making decisions today to save for the next set of students. And they say they get that somebody did that for them. Somebody started this co-op, this housing, student housing co-ops. And normally the price in the student co-op is less than the dorms are, are around. And normally you get a better product because people take better care of it. So that was the first time I heard it. And I guess if students can get it, Older folks should be too. Less than should. <laughs> but that is the critical link that uh, you've got to be willing to think about the long term. You're paying management to worry about the short term, but long term, you want that student co op to be there for, you know, 10 classes down the road. Uh, you want the housing co op to be there for residents, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And you want a co op like UPI to be there for, you know, the next generation of people that's going to be growing our food. So the principles are uh, very applicable across, you know, any any type of co-op. Amalgamated in New York as one of the older housing co-ops. And I think they've been somehow in my head, and this, I may not have it right, but 90 years. I mean, it's been quite some time. It's been a long time. That they've been there. And I know of one that some research was done in Atlanta. Uh, they, they had celebrated like eight years ago. They're 40 years, and they didn't have a mortgage anymore. Wildwood in, in Atlanta. So long time. 40, 50, 90, 100, 150 years, you have this housing, and a lot of times it's affordable housing, and the idea is to keep it affordable for generations generations to come. Now, let's move to the Ohio State University. You didn't put the D in when you talked about Ohio State. <laughs> well, I didn't go there, but I get chastised for that a lot. <laughs> okay. Well, I just, I've talked to people from Ohio State, and, boy, they I'm are really. About it. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing there with them? Well, we, uh, uh, several of us got together and uh, worked with the university to create a cooperative center based on some existing uh, contributions and some new ones. center now has a director, and it's designed to simply ensure that cooperative principles, you know, kind of get uh, threaded through the curriculum or other initiatives that may be embraced. Our project that we're working on right now is to bring in some guest lectures from as CEOs of various co-ops, uh, Land O'Lakes, Nationwide, Welch's, whomever it may be, to come in and talk to students and faculty about the cooperative business model. And so, uh, again, it's a uh, it's kind of 
kind of a virtual center. It's there to help influence curriculum, uh, to make sure whether it's a business school or the ag school, that students have a exposure and understanding uh, to cooperatives, not just public corporations. So you said Atlanta Lakes, Welch's, and what was the other one? Uh, we invited we invited about six different co-ops uh, CEOs uh, nationwide. Nationwide insurance, okay. And we're going to invite or have invited CHS Incorporated. Seems like there's two others. You said Lando Lakes, Welch's. What about Cabot Creamery? Uh, we haven't approached Cabot. We have talked to CoBank, uh, and of course UPI being right there in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So we've got about six co-ops that will fit the uh, schedule that we have for speaking in some symposia uh, as well as in some specific classes. So it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to have students uh, get exposed to co-ops. Uh, Ohio State happens to teach a class in co-ops, uh, but this would be a uh, – the center transcends just ag school. It's also engaged in a, a new major uh, that they have jointly between the business school and the ag school. So uh, I chair the advisory committee and am uh, uh, kind of doing the legwork to get those CEOs to come in and, and speak – and again, yeah. it's all about the education, the reaching out. Then if we only have about 30 seconds left, do you have any last comment to tell people? Well, I would uh, first and foremost thank you and the program for uh, making people aware of co-ops. Uh, you know, co-ops touch everyday lives, and in many cases people don't realize it. And, and, uh, and in fact, I saw a, a, an item online where someone had, had contacted you and said, hey, tell us more, how do I find co-ops uh, Housing co-ops in California. Okay. Thank you, buddy. uh, I think think you folks should be committed to that. Thank you, and you can tell Chuck Snyder that because he's been very supportive from NCB. Thank you, everybody out there. This is a wonderful Thursday. I've learned a lot, and we'll see you next week. Have a great cooperative week. 1450 WOL.